This is the Great IO Get Together, originally recorded on YouTube Live. Although you can listen to the show as a podcast, you only get the full experience by visiting thegig.online/youtube. Welcome to the Great IO Get Together. On tonight's show, quips and queries about the world of work as IO psychology comes alive. Now, please welcome our hosts, Richard and Tara. Thank you so much, Cherry, and welcome everyone to Great IO Get Together number 22, Are You Smarter Than Two PSYOP Presidents with Elaine Palacos. This is my co-host, Tara. Thank you so much for joining us today. I remember to subscribe, ring the bell, join Discord, join our email list if you haven't done those things already. Uh, details about all of that available on our website, thegig.online. So all of our regular shows, and this one is no exception, have two halves. Uh, in the first half, we have a little fun. Second half, we get a little more serious, all with our guest of the day. So today on the show, we have Dr. Elaine Plakos, Chief Executive Officer of the legendary IO Psychology Consulting Firm, PDRI. Uh, Dr. Plakos is a fellow of the American Psychological Association, uh, fellow and past president of the Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology. Welcome to the show, Elaine. Hello, I'm so glad to be here today. Looking forward to it. Uh, well, today's game will be a PSYOP history trivia challenge, uh, presidentially themed. Uh, each round, I'm going to be asking each of you a question about PSYOP presidents or presidential history. Um, I will direct each question at one of you. And if you get it right, you'll get a point. And if you get it wrong, then the other person has a chance to steal. So most points wins. Does that make sense? Everybody good with the rules? I'm very nervous. Yes, let's get started. <laughs> right. uh, just I, just I have to keep score somehow. There we go. Okay, so uh, great. So first question is going to be for Elaine. So we're going to start uh, a little, uh, hopefully a little easier. We'll, we'll see how this goes. Uh, one for Elaine. Who was President Barron's predecessor? Who? Oh. Alexis. Oh. No. We skipped a few. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Other way. I, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. All right, Tara, you, you have the steal here. I actually know this one. Um, that would be Mo. Mo Wong. It is Mo Wong. One one point to Tara. Uh, oh. Yeah. That's okay. Uh, this one might be uh, the opposite situation. Question for Tara. <laughs> Who was President Palacos' predecessor? Uh, I knew that was coming, and yet I still didn't have the foresight to Google it. Um, I I have no idea. <clears throat> but I do. <laughs> For the steal. <laughs> All right, I, I can't even come up with a guess. The, the person who came before me, right? That would be predecessor. It would. That's what I thought. I had to make sure I understood the meaning of the word just so I didn't get it wrong. It was um, um, it was Kevin. It was Kevin Murphy. Kevin Murphy. Yeah. All right. We, we are tied up. This is actually it's a fun uh, a fun thing I've noticed is that there's sort of like an open question, too, as to how engaged you are, like after your presidency, because uh, I've, I've heard sort of different models of it. Like it's time to step back is one approach. And then some other folks seem to not do that. Uh, I don't know. I, I, what was what was your approach? <laughs> I'm just I, I'm very curious. Yeah. No. See, that's fair because I actually am a firm believer that you know that 
old person that sticks around too long and just won't go away and hangs on and hangs on and everybody's like, when are they going to get out of the way? I firmly believe, and I do this with my staff too, Mm. it's like you got to get out of people's way in order for them to come into their own and own their roles and do their thing, right? So Mm. I was done being president after my last year. I mean, I love PSYOP. And since... So it wasn't like I dropped out of PSYOP, didn't want to do anything anymore, but I felt it was really important for me to get out of the way. Tara, I'm just trying to take up time so we don't have to do this quiz anymore. So <laughs> Brilliant. really yes. important I have opinions. to get the heck out of the way, let the people do their thing. And then 10 years later, actually probably more like 20 years later, I got engaged doing some other stuff. But I do think like once you're done, get out of the way. Mm. You know, I appreciate that philosophy um, for a number of reasons. One, if you don't, then, you know, power gets concentrated amongst a few people and nobody else has the opportunity to develop those skills. And then when that core group of people retires or gets tired of it, there's nobody who's trained and ready to step in, which is really a bad way of running an organization. So, uh, you know, I <clears throat> I fully intend on... I'm keeping that in mind and not being one of those people that just won't, won't leave um, because uh, I don't think PSYOP could function that way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We are, uh, we are all. I should have gotten my question by the way, but you know, I'm so nervous about this stupid game figuring (laughs) the fool out of myself that I actually did know the answer to that. I just said the wrong thing that happens. Mm. How much more time? We have to kill Tara before we can go to the serious part. I don't know. I don't think Rich is going to let us get away with this. I think we have. We, we actually only have four questions. This is not a long quiz. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, question two. Uh, we're going to continue in the same pattern. So uh, Elaine first. Um, how many women were presidents before you? Two. It is two. Very nice. Point Yay! two. Point two, Elaine. Um, here's the extra Yay. fun one for Tara. How many were presidents before you? Wait, I'm counting. Mm. All right, Talia, Ethan, Georgia. Eight? Oh, no. It is not eight. <laughs> Elaine, any, any guess for the steal? Uh, I would say, like, maybe a dozen, maybe 12. I don't know. Ooh, it is 12. No! no. <laughs> I had no friggin' idea. I just knew eight was wrong, and I was I really quickly counted off, right? But I have no idea, like, that that's, can't be right, right? It's it, not that's right. That's it. That is right. That is right. Okay, can we quit the game now? Good. <laughs> I'm sure now that you're ahead by three, sure. Yeah, I mean, there's no need to do anymore. I won. Yay. <laughs> So this is, I mean, this is actually a really interesting piece of sort of the the, tr- the changes that PSYOP and, and the broader kind of world have gone on. So uh, it's, you know, from uh, from your presidency all the way back to, and then since, it's actually 50%. 50% of the PSYOP presidents uh, since you have been, have been women. Um, although a little lopsided in the last few years, we had three in a row. Um, so it's a, a pretty big change in, in focus and, and, and approach. I, I don't I don't know. Did you did you how much did you think about that at the time being being so started? what I'm focused on, honestly, is what you just said, which is mm-hmm. and Elaine, blah, 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 all the way back to when you were president, like 
all the way back. <laughs> and the problem with what you just said, I just <laughs> want to test a little, you know, what is it? Social awareness, test your, sure. all the way back, Elaine, to when you were present. Like, look at me. Do I look that old, Richard? Come on. No, no. I was president I'm... when I was 21. So I'm... you know what I mean? But yeah, it was, okay, so to be a little bit more serious about it, first of all, I was astonished in a way that I, I got elected because I was only the third woman. And at the time, I think I was only 38 years old or something like, oh God, I just did it to myself. I just shot <laughs> right in the foot. But I was pretty young as SIA mm. president. So, I mean, we've had a few ones. We're, we're looking right now at a, a very young president. Um, I'm 24. Yeah, there you go. And I think <laughs> 12. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But yeah, it was really weird. It was, um, there were so few women presidents. Mm. And I was really astonished that I got elected. I wasn't sure how accessible the SIA presidency would be to women. But mm. then... You know, after me, I mean, I think there was nothing about me. It was just a turning point at the time where I think there were more women in the field who were accomplished in general. I think the time had come to, you know, recognize the leadership skills that I think females have, you know, very strongly. And then after me, there were, you know, quite a number of female presidents. And, I, you know, more recently, it's almost like, the tables have turned a little bit because yeah. there seem to be more female presidents than male presidents in the last few years, mm -hmm. or you know, evening things out at a minimum, if not um, maybe a little bit ahead. So I think that's just really an interesting sign of the changing times. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think you might be underselling yourself a little in that because um, the previous president to you was 11 years prior and the previous to her was 11 years prior to that. And then after you is about every like four ish years. I, you were at the beginning of an era, to be honest. It was me then. Yeah. Wow. What a, wow, how great. What a great contribution I made to the field of biopsychology. Fantastic. It was just so many good women who had come into their own, you know, had come into their own. Yeah. All right. we, uh, let's go. New, new question. Again for Elaine. Um, so this is actually. Hey, isn't this terrorist term? Always back and forth. We're gonna we're gonna keep doing it this way. Yeah. Uh, so this one. Uh, uh, well, we'll see. So I'm gonna ask you to identify who I'm talking about. All right. This is a specific SIA president, possibly one that you know pretty well. We'll find out. All right. So this SIA president grew up on a dairy farm in Northwest Iowa. Double majored in philosophy and psychology. Ended up going to Purdue to pursue a PhD in IO instead of clinical, in part because of a bad experience and serving as a big brother in a home for disturbed children, where he formed a vivid memory of being cursed out by an eight-year-old. You know who that might be? Well, you know, the first person who came to mind, and I think I'm really going to embarrass myself, would be Neil or Dan, but I thought Neil. You started I think. Neil. It is Neil. Neil Schmidt. Yeah. You know what surprised me about that? Everything rang true, except I didn't know, actually. And it's funny, because, you know, Neil, I've probably been as close to as, as anybody in my whole career, but I never knew the story of the clinical. So that was what 
was like, geez, you know, is that is that really Neil? It sounds like it has to be. But wow, that's interesting. It's so funny because what he doesn't know is that I was also on defense. So mm. interestingly, ironically, between do I go clinical or do I go I.O.? And my uncle was a clinical psychologist in Buffalo, and he was kind of a, a big name in Buffalo. He, he dealt with little kids, and he had a TV show in the morning and blah, blah, blah. So I went to his practice one, one week, week to observe, you know, behind the mirrors, like what do these psychologists do that deal with kids? And I left that experience going, there's really no way I want to do this. Because at the end of the day, these people were like, oh, my God, I'm so wiped out. And day after day, they're dealing with all these really hard things. And I said to myself, heck, no, that's too hard a job. Mm -hmm. Maybe I.O. will be easier. I.O. is like psychology for profit in a business. Hey, that sounds a little bit more fun than, you know, just this draining experience every single day with these little kids. So anyway, mm -hmm. probably more than you wanted to know, but it's kind of interesting <laughs> that Neil and I have that um, common thread after knowing him for as long as I have, you know, that I never knew. So. Um, wait a second. Are you from Buffalo? No, I am not. Why are you? Indeed. And I have some Zyat president trivia, which is that there are at least three Zyat presidents that I know of that are from Buffalo. And we grew up within a mile of each other. Oh. <clears throat> Wait, can I ask questions? Richard, is that okay? I think all right, I'm asking you questions now. All right. Ask yourself who they are and then answer. Yeah, okay. So Richard, please name all the Syrup presidents from Buffalo. <laughs> I, have, <laughs> I have I have no guesses. I know one. <laughs> I don't know the other two. <clears throat> the other are Doug Reynolds and Fritz Trasco. Oh, Okay, Tara, but listen, I'm, it's worse than, I mean, Buffalo's not bad, but where I come from is kind of bad. It's not bad. Oh, God, I can't believe I just said that. It's not bad at all. I love where I grew up, but it's a, it's a small place, Erie, Pennsylvania. Oh, so not too far away at all then. I think that's the same region. Exactly. That's why I told you that, because it's like, you know, Cleveland got big, Buffalo got big, and then Erie was right in the middle of it didn't get so big. That's why I said it. it but it's not a bad. It's not a bad place at all. It just never ended up blossoming like the other two cities. But yes, I and so I came to Buffalo a lot. So you could kind of consider me in the in the hood with the rest of y'all from Buffalo. Close. I agree. I think culturally relevant. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> we we got our our next uh, the flip of that question for Tara. Same idea. This SIAP president grew up in a rural town outside of Chicago, attended Miami University in Ohio before serving five and a half years on a four-year commitment to the U.S. Navy because of Vietnam before attending Berkeley for I.O. Then, after graduating, came in second, narrowly losing out on a professorship at Purdue to Dan Ilgen, and instead went to work at PDI. Who was that? What? That Whoever that person is, very interesting. <laughs> <clears throat> they went to... Berkeley. Psst. <laughs> and oh, they were in the. Yep. Are, are we gonna have to move for, the, move for the steel? Do you have a? Do you have a guess? No. <laughs> All right. For the steel, then. Wally. It is Wally Borman. Yeah. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> uh, Terry, you're not doing well. 
<laughs> I'm aware of this, yes. I'm going to half of my points and say it's a tie. Oh, thank you for the charity. <laughs> charity. It's a, this was the dumbest game I ever played in my life, Tara, right? Like, we were nervous for a reason. We need to, like, I don't know. <clears throat> but you know who got zero points? At least we got some points. Think about it. Some points is a win. Zero points is the loser. So guess who yeah. the loser is? They're not I'm pretty winning. sure Richard has zero points. So <laughs> he's, the, he's the only loser here. Sorry, Richard. Don't play. No, no it's Actually, don't play these games with us. You got <laughs> there's two against one here. It's not. You're, well, you're ahead five to one right now. That is that's. I cheated. Oh, you know. Okay. <laughs> you're helping me out. I don't. I really. I don't. But you know, it, I should have. Why didn't we do Tara? That would have been far. All right. We're 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 on our last question. Um, back back to Elaine. Which PSYOP president proposed beginning the annual conference? I kind of want to say Irv Goldstein. Oh, it is. But... <laughs> oh, my God. Six points. This... <clears throat> yep. There's no way that I can hang. This is, this is way <laughs> above my level of, of sophistication here. Is that... I just... Well, see, Tara... I go back so far. So, and, right, as we've heard, yes, yeah, so far. Out that I actually was the chair of the program in Boston, which I think was the second or third PSYOP conference. And at the time, I remember there was this great group of people. It was like Irv and Ben Schneider, Seth Shelley Zedek, you know, mm -hmm. that cohort that really you know, was interested in making sure that PSYOP didn't get lost mm. at APA, which we were getting lost at APA. So, I mean, I have vivid memories of that. And I just kind of, something told me that of them, I, I just thought it might be Irv, but it just could have easily been, you know, Ben or Shelley or one of those that were all, they were kind of presidents around the same time and they were just doing this stuff. And that is actually when I started my active engagement in PSYOP. So it's very memorable for me. You know, I can't remember obviously today's president or who preceded that president or who preceded the other president, you know. <laughs> I mean, it happened like two months ago, but you know, I can remember 40 years ago. I hope that's not a sign I'm losing my short-term memory because my long <laughs> memory, that would be really a bad sign for me. No, I, you know, I think there's something about your, your formative years that just sticks forever. Like I can remember vividly my first conference and everything that happened related to that, even though I can't remember anything in between. So I get it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Our, our final question back to Tara. <laughs> Which PSYOP president oversaw was president during the first leading edge consortium? Oh, was it Lietta? It was Lietta. Lietta Hugh. There we go. I finally got one. <laughs> oh, you got one. So yeah, that those are all those are all the questions. So uh, final score six to two. Elaine clearly the uh, the winner here. Clearly, uh, but I redeemed myself at the end. I would like that to go on the record. <laughs> I think Sarah did just fine. Her my questions were easier than hers anyway. Yeah, that too. <laughs> I agree.
Well, uh, uh, this this theme of kind of uh, uh, you know how how the 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 origins of a lot of things that we I, I think uh, uh, almost don't question today. Like the annual conference is such a major part of of the everyday existence. I think of a lot of IOs now, and to think there was a point when it didn't exist uh, is kind of odd uh, actually for folks. Um, and so uh, I, I I'm very excited when we get to the interview portion after the break here. Um, to kind of talk about how you've seen all that happen and your role in it and, and all sorts of fun other details. So uh, looking forward to that. And we will come back then in five minutes. And we are back. Uh, welcome back, everyone. Uh, here for our second half, uh, our interview with Elaine. So um, let me start by just saying, uh, by, by opening with uh, kind of your PDRI-related history. Um, of course, the, the CEO, very, very impressive title. Uh, and uh, PDRI itself has a very long history in IO psychology, uh, and you yourself started there some time ago. I, I won't give a specific date. Uh, I was wondering if you could actually give a little bit of an overview of kind of the relationship, as you see it, between PDRI and IO psychology, and maybe a little bit about how you've uh, participated in that or seen it and, and what the role of PDRI has been in your career. Yeah, um, it's, it's really funny how it all started because... I, when I was in grad school, I identified PDRI as the place that I wanted to go work. Mm. And the reason why is because they were doing this great research and people like Wally Borman, Lietta, Marv, they were publishing, but they had these massive data sets and they were publishing articles like on really, I thought, cool things from practice that academics often didn't have access to the kind of data that PDRI did because they were doing these massive studies, especially with the military at the time. So I'm looking at this, I'm thinking they're practitioners who have great data sets and can publish. This is the only place in the world that is going to be a good fit for me. So I set out to get myself a job there. So I sent Wally Borman this article that I wrote and I asked him to review it, which he did kindly. He gave me feedback on it. And then we went to APA, and my sole mission was to meet him. So I basically stalked him, you know, everywhere he might be, and I finally found myself at a cocktail party with him. And mind you, I'm 23 years old or something like this, 24, I don't know, whatever it was. Um, and so I met him. I said, okay, I came here to meet you, and I'm really excited to meet you. And the reason I wanted to meet you is I'd like a job at PDRI because it's the only place in the world that's a good fit for me. Like, what an idiot, right? Like, who would who would um, be this way, you know, and think that this is a way to get a job? So eventually, and then I kept in touch with him. You know, I'd send him papers, and I'd be like, you have a job at PDRI or whatever for me yet? And finally, I think <laughs> he had me come to Minnesota, and I did an interview to be a postdoctoral research fellow, and they paid me like so little money that my dad had to basically support me. Thankfully, he was really a sweet dad and he did that. He gave me extra money so I could go to my first job, <laughs> but it wasn't a job. <laughs> I was postdoctoral research fellow. I did that for a year and then PDRI gave me a real job. And I stayed in that job for two years in Minnesota. And that's kind of how it all started. But I honestly think the way I got my job was just to be such a nag and a PETA that it's finally like, oh my God, just get her, give her a job here. You know, they put me on a different floor. Like Peter, I was on the 21st floor. I was down on the 13th floor with a couple other interns who probably were equally a PETA and got themselves a job the same way I did. 
And there we sat for a year until we got brought up to the real company. But that's the honest to God truth story. So don't apply for jobs, people. It's a waste of your time. Don't go to job interviews, people. It's a waste of your time. Just go find the person you want to work for, meet them at a conference and ask them for a job. That's my advice to you. Wow. <laughs> uh, so uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah. Well, let's, I don't know if that's, if that's, uh, uh, I don't know how that would yeah, work out these days. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I think that's a really important story about the value of persistence and knowing well, what you yeah. want and setting goals. And I think many people could benefit from that kind of um, mm. <clears throat> encouragement. So I fully like that story. I've never done that, but I, I would totally do it if I ever knew that much about what I wanted to do. I would definitely do that. I'll tell you something. I had a guy show up who was at the University of Maryland, not in I.O. Mm. He had worked in some, I think, mental institution or something. But he want I don't know, somehow I got connected up with him. Probably Ben or Irv or some, some connect. He shows up in my office. He's kind of a mess. He's got his backpack. He pulls out all these articles I had written. He starts saying, what I really liked about this article was blah, blah, blah. And he kind of got it all wrong. But I appreciated the initiative and the enthusiasm. So you know what? I hired him. He was one of our best workers. And he ended up going to Michigan State for graduate school. So he went to a very good grad school, became an IO psychologist, and has had a pretty good career. I think he would tell you that just from this happening. So... I know that my methods are a bit unconventional, but I do have to tell you that I've learned in my life that don't wait for people to kind of come up and tap you on the shoulder, raise your hand and volunteer. And, you know, don't expect, like, I didn't necessarily think I would get a job at PDRI, but I really thought it was the perfect place for me to go because of what they stood for. And there was no other organization like this. And I told them that. Mm. And I felt it sincerely. You know, I was very passionate about it. So if there is a situation where you think you do want to go someplace or somebody you want to work with, Neil Schmidt, the same thing. Dan Ilgen, the same thing. They didn't come tap me on the shoulder and say, oh, Elaine, you're such a great graduate student. Let, we really want to work with you. I had to go beg them. And, you know, as a result of doing that and raising my hand and working hard, guess what? I got a lot. I think a lot of my whole career and my success is frankly because I've raised my hand and volunteered or asked to do something. Mm. I asked to be on the SIOP program chair and then mm. I expressed my interest to be the chair of the program. I asked to be on the committee and then I expressed my interest in being the program chair and that's how I got to chair the conference. You know, it wasn't, um, now more people ask me, you know, as you get older, but when you're first starting out, I actually think there's, this is not a bad strategy, guys, seriously. I mean, yeah. I can make jokes of it and it's a funny story, but I don't think it's a bad strategy. You have to advocate for yourself um, before anyone else can advocate for you. You have to let people know what you can do and what you want. So I agree. Yeah. 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 yeah it's the, the, you can't make the shots you don't take kind of adage. Um, so, well, so th things have changed a lot, though. So in, in that era, PDRI was like one of a relatively small set of like the place to work. And I, I mean, I call it like the legendary PDRI for that reason. 
like it, it, it looms large in, in the history of IO uh, and, you know, yeah, it does. Yeah. Project A was uh, some, a big part of what yeah. PKR I was doing. And, and that is also, you know, major part of the, the history of the, the field. Um, so uh, I don't know. Do you, how, how have you seen the kind of evolution of the organization of PDRI and IO in general over over the years? Like, is 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 PDRI, PDRI now the PDRI that you were you know idolizing in that time period, or, or how did it how that change? You know, it's funny because PDRI, on one hand, has changed a lot. And, you know, in a way, I think it's become a joke and, you know, people laugh about it because we've been acquired eight times. We've had eight different Mm. partners, right? So if you don't think that we take a lot of, you know, it's like, well, who's, you know, who's, what brand's on your coffee cup today, Elaine? And we have actually like (laughs) eight of them lined up that we we make fun of it ourselves. It's kind of like, well, who's going to own us today? Because we were owned by PDI Mm. and then predicts and then provisor and then SHL and then CEB and then Gartner and then SHL again and Pearson just bought us. I'm not kidding. So PDRI like has gone through so much change because with every acquisition there's been kind of a okay you can work in the private sector because we were always kind of half private sector, half government. And then the next one's like, no, we don't want you in the private sector at all. We want you to be only government. And the next one's like, well, Elaine, Elaine, we want you to come be our sort of global head of product. And then, well, Elaine, we want you back just in PDRI only. So like, there's been a lot of toing and froing. And I mean, I got to tell you, a lot of change that mm. PDRI has absorbed over the years. We've transformed the business from from all professional services to now most of our revenue is actually comes from our uh, assessment platform. Mm. And, you know, we deliver all kinds of assessments. We do um, all of the testing for the government and some private sector clients. But we have, you know, most of our business is now scalable, repeatable, IT based. But of course, there's IO content that we're delivering. So the nature of the business has switched from professional services to more product and license. However, with all of that change, I have to tell you that the basic values that PDRI always embraced and were important about, you know, it's a place where people can come and pursue their passions. It's a place where we trust people to get their work done, you know, and we hire really good people. They are committed to doing quality IO psychology work. Um, There is an appreciation for doing research and publishing. There is importance placed on contributing to PSYOP and playing an active role. and we have, if you look on committees and stuff, Tracy Cantor, Witz, Gary Carter, you know, just to name a few, mm-hmm. and then lots of other people who get involved in committee work and, and whatnot at PSYOP. So all of those basic values that started with, you know, Mark, Danette, Lietta, and Wally, who were the three really original founders of PDRI, mm-hmm. the values continue. And PDRI as an organization 
is not all that different in its spirit and its culture than it was, you know, when I joined it way back then, Richard, <laughs> <laughs> so long ago. So it's kind of odd, right? Like, it's really an odd duck in that way. And here's the other thing, interesting, through eight owners, guess what our name still is? Mm. Think about it. It yeah. still is PDRI. So everyone has found value in the brand. Of, everybody who's owned us has found value in retaining the brand of PDRI. Mm. Every other company they got was renamed, mm. but not PDRI. So I don't know, you know, draw your own conclusion about that. Well, something I appreciate about PDRI is that it seems like the perfect exemplar of the scientist practitioner model. <clears throat> and very few people manage to get that balance right, where they they are, you know, all science or all practice. And it's it's just really exciting for me to see, like you said, people are, are publishing, they're sharing their science, they're contributing to the field, um, and, you know, they're running a business and a profitable business, and it's possible to do both. I think that is an important message for people. Yeah, and, that, and that's it. It was that very thing that attracted me to PDRI, <clears throat> the practice people that you know, are publishing. Now I'll say we don't publish as much as in the day of Wally, Marv, the Etta, but still, you know, to the extent people can, I mean, it's still an important value for us. And we do try to keep, you know, at least a few things coming out a year. Um, you know, and even, I guess I've become more interested in getting our stuff more out in the popular press, to be honest, because one of the things I personally always felt is that IO psychology doesn't have enough of a platform outside of IO psychology. Like we're not known enough, you know, our country, people are confused by what we do. Um, and so whilst I had in the first part of my career, I was very interested in doing things that were academically solid. In the latter part of my career, I'm much more interested in, you know, publishing in Harvard Business Review or writing books that I hope you know, HR professionals will read because um, I want to see IO have a bigger platform and a better understood platform, you know, out there in the world than I think it does. I mean, but that's something that, that for me, I felt for many years, gosh, you know, I wish we could just do better at this. Mm. And I feel that way, you know, so I keep trying in my own little way. Well, you, you've, you're certainly quite prolific as an editor and, and, and writer. Um, you know, I just just to name a few a few works: uh, the the changing nature of performance, implementing organizational interventions, performance management, transforming performance management to drive performance. Uh, Wiley Blackwell Handbook of Psychology, Recruitment Selection, Employee Retention, Performance Management Transformation. I mean, just so many so many works over a long period of time. There is a, a bit of uh, not that long, sorry. Not there is a bit of a theme of. <laughs> Of uh, performance uh, <clears throat> management in there, uh, yeah. and uh, also, you know, you, I've seen you've had a couple of Harvard Business Reviews lately, which I think might speak to your popular press kind of angle. So I just love to hear kind of how you've navigated that. Like, how did you land on performance management as a topic you like to talk about a lot, and and how do you see like kind of where you're going from here in terms of like popular press engagement? So you know, I think performance management found me. I don't know if I found it. It might have found me. I mean, look, I was working with Wally Borman, and he was doing a bunch of Raider training stuff. And um, when I I did my master's thesis and dissertation on Raider training stuff back when we thought we could, you know, 
trained raters to give accurate ratings, and it wasn't any more complicated than that. Mm. Um, so I started there, and I guess you know, going to PDRI and working with Wally had a big had a big influence on continuing to do research and performance management. Mm. But then we here in the government. Okay, so I took a hiatus from PDRI, but then I came back. I opened our office here in DC. So that's kind of how that story goes. But the government was going through this congressionally mandated pay for performance reform. They wanted to implement pay for performance in the government, which, you know, quite frankly, talk about really dumb ideas. Okay, that was one of the dumber ones, I think. Um, <laughs> we can talk about why, but maybe it's better to just leave it as that. So we, because of all the work that PDRI had done in performance management and blah, 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 we won this a lot of contracts to support, you know, implementing performance management. So kind of that's why I say performance management kind of found me because mm. now we're doing major PM reform in all these agencies and it's spilled over to do some work in the private sector as well. And so we implemented like the perfect performance management system and it didn't work. I mean, we did everything right, you know, rating scales, rater training, blah, blah, blah. Perfect, you know, all the things you're supposed to do, make it legally defensible. Oh, it was, you know, like still performance ha management wasn't happening well. So then I got curious, like, what do we do wrong? Let's try again. So we tried again and it didn't work. And like we tried again and it didn't work. Then we started changing things to try to make it work better. And so I went through this whole career of, well, I think we're almost there. We just got to try a couple more things a little differently and we'll get performance management to work. Two, performance management is profoundly broken and it can't work. It's really about the people and about the conversations and about people willing to have productive conversations in real time. And no formal system, I will now kind of unload a soapbox about this, no formal system is going to get you there. The people have to get there to have good performance management. So I went from, okay, we can make it work. I love it. We can put it in a system to this is not, there's nothing we can do. We just have to get the people to understand what good performance management really means. So I went through this whole, like, I don't know what it is, evolution with performance management and then decided I don't ever want to do performance management research again. I am done. <laughs> I've contributed everything I possibly can. I wrote a few books about it, and what was really funny is one book was published that talked about how to develop the perfect formal system, and a year later, I realized we're doing it all wrong, so I had to write another book like that came out a year later after I wrote the first book saying this is the definitive answer for the formal system that will work, saying, you know what, I think we had it all wrong. Now, what we really need is more informal performance management and understanding about what that looks like for both managers and employees. That was embarrassing, you know, that was really embarrassing. And actually, the way I came to that realization was when I won SIOP's Distinguished Scientific Contribution Award, and I was doing my speech, I was like, well, what can I say I've actually accomplished? And I thought about all this performance appraisal work that had been a failure, so I'm like, well, I can't say that was an accomplishment because everybody will just laugh at me. So what my Distinguished Scientific Contribution Award speech ended up being, I actually sat back and thought, why hasn't it worked? And that's when I came up with this insight. It's because a formal system can't do it. And so I actually said it's ironic I get this award because I've been a failure my whole career. 
I've never gotten it right, but I have had some new insights and here's where I think we need to go. It was well received and then I, at that point forward, I just switched gears about what I think good performance management looks like, not all the stuff we have been doing. So that's kind of a long answer, sorry, but there was this whole kind of, I don't know, metamorphosis or something. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you're you're embodying science practice in a way that a lot of, especially a lot of grad students don't really get. I, I think the impression that folks come away from with grad school a lot of times is like, there's a correct way to do this. I just read the literature, I do the thing. But the approach of, um, uh, I, I call it in my classes, engineering. You're trying to engineer a solution to a problem. That kind of like uh, a problem-focused science, problem-driven science, uh, it sounds like what you're doing. And that I wouldn't consider that a failure at all. Like I think that's what we should be doing pretty much all the time. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, and I think only a fool would refuse to change their mind in the face of evidence that suggests they need to change, right? And I, I can think of a lot of people who will just continue to do the wrong thing because that's what they're known for, or that's what their, you know, their brand is, <clears throat> and that's not good for science or practice. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of funny though because that point of just saying, "Gosh, I think it was just a real interesting." When I sat back and thought about it for this talk, is where I got the insight about. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we're doing it all wrong. And I wonder, you know, if I hadn't had to give the speech and hadn't took the time to really reflect on it, I, may, I think I would have come to the insight anyway eventually, but it was like this aha moment. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was personally just really interesting for me because I'm like, oops, and I just wrote a book saying something else. That's bad time <laughs> to say the least. But um Good way to sell twice as many books. Yeah, yeah. No, no, because you don't ever sell many books. You know, you sell about $40 worth of books. I think, you know, at least my books, you know, there are people who make tons of money on books, I suspect. But most people I talk to say, yeah, we, we just use the book as a platform. You don't really make mm. money. But most of the books I wrote were for PSYOP anyway. So sorry, PSYOP. I really had better intentions to make some money off of me, but that you didn't. Oh, my goodness. So as we uh, as we roll toward the end here, I have I have one one more question. It kind of follows up on things we were talking about in the uh, uh, during the game, which is really about how PSYOP itself, um, as well as I O as a broader field, and how PSYOP has inter kind of interacted with it, um, how it's changed uh, over the years. So you know, I see you're still you're still active. Uh, you gave two presentations uh, yeah. in Boston. Um, how how have you seen the organization and, and again relatedly kind of the whole field? through the lens of PSYOP change uh, over the years? I mean, is this is this where you thought we'd be at this point? Uh, or have things gone kind of a different direction? So first of all, let me say I love PSYOP. I do. It has been such an immensely important community. Mm. And it has provided me with the opportunities and platform that I have needed, not needed, but that I have appreciated and needed in order to build my career. So I can't say enough about the relationships, you know, the camaraderie that you can find within PSYOP and the opportunities to have leadership roles, to contribute, to become a better scientist, practitioner, or whatever you are. I think, you know, of course, PSYOP has gone through a lot of changes. It was very small. I mean, I remember the first conference we had you knew everybody there, now we're 5,000 people in Boston. Um, I'll just come back to, you know, it's changed in so many ways, um, but I think there again, some of the 
core values still remain mm. about the community. Of course, as, as groups get bigger and bigger, it becomes harder to maintain your culture and core values, of course. But I still think the fundamental ones, the things that I loved about SIOP are largely still there. I will say what I said before, I want SIOP to have a broader platform. You know, I want people to understand IO psychology better. I, I think, you know, this has been a topic since I was president, frankly, so it's not an easy nut to crack. Mm. But I do want the world to understand a little bit more about what IO psychology is, because, you know, you still run into people what do you do? How are you trained? Well, I'm an industrial organizational psychologist, you know, or what? I just say, oh, management consultant, because you know what else mm. is. Yeah. So, you know, that is my hope for SIA, that at some point it gets the platform and the voice that it deserves. Um, that would be great. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Um, I do. We did have uh, some, I just noticed, uh, online live chatters. Uh, Martha Hennen wrote... Uh, Acquired many times, yet PDRI still provides excellent top-notch research and quality. Um, and a follow-up question, what are you interested in now, if not performance management? Agility. That's the new thing. We did a study. We looked at 300 organizations globally. And I did this work with Ben Schneider, who I love dearly. And he dates back to my Michigan State days, too. The other person in my career who has been incredibly influential and who I'm grateful for that, you know, he, he is definitely on the list for sure. So Ben and I, he did some re organizational level research to try to ferret out what, what makes companies and teams agile. And we found some really interesting finding. Those are the Harvard Business Review articles. Mm. So and one thing I'll just tell you, I'll just whet your appetite. One of the most important things for agility is stability. It's paradoxical. But you cannot be agile unless you're stable first. And there are leadership practices, seven of them, although I think we whittled them down to five or six, that are essential to create stable situations and organizations. Mm. We also found that when you overdo teamwork, you work against agility. So a second practice is right-sizing teamwork so that you don't have too many people, too many meetings, because that just creates chaos. And the third is to have self-correcting teams. So that's another very important thing for in order to have agile teams and agile organizations. So it's not like agile in the IT sense. It's actually leadership practices that create agility. And what we also found is agile organizations actually are more profitable. So we made the link to actual financial outcomes. So I think this is... This, to me, was a wonderful research study done at the organizational level that allowed us to find things that I don't think we ever would have found studying just one organization. Great insights, and I'm super excited about pursuing this line of research now in lieu of performance management, although self-correcting teams, admittedly, is performance management as well. <laughs> I can't get away from it. <laughs> uh, that... That is that is wonderful. I, I will also point out for viewers just that the, uh, I mean, again, I, you're like the living embodiment of science practice because you're talking about research while talking about product lines, and it's just uh, you know just an illustration of how that's just a normal line to cross back and forth between. Like that is that is what I think IO psychology is. It should be, uh, and it's great to 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 see it happening, uh, and and in such an illustrious career as well. Uh, so, uh, 
Well, wonderful. So thank you so much uh, for coming. We are, we are out of time, alas. Um, but this, is, this has really been great. I loved it. It was so fun being with you. Richard, we're getting you back for the quiz still. Even oh, though <laughs> Tara and I will we'll be back with you soon. But thank you, guys. I really enjoyed this. I hope it was fun for everybody, and I hope it, will, it met your expectations. Uh, it was great. It was fantastic to have you. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you. All right, that is it for gig number 22. Uh, remember to subscribe, ring the bell, join Discord, join our email list, all of that details on thegig.online. Thank you for watching, and we'll see you next time for another great IO Gets Better. Bye. Oh, the times were hard and the wages low. Leave a Johnny, leave a... I guess it's time for us to go. And it's time for us to leave her. Leave a Johnny, leave her. Oh, leave a Johnny, leave her. For the voyage is done and the winds don't blow. And it's time for us to leave her. That's it for another gig. To stay in touch, subscribe on YouTube, check out our website at thegig.online, join our LinkedIn group, sign up for our email notification list, and join our Discord. So many ways to connect. Thanks for joining us, and see you next time for another great I.O. get-together.